Chapter 7 Queer Lodgings Part 2 The great door had creaked and slammed. Bayorn was gone. The dwarves were sitting cross-legged on the floor around the fire, and presently they began to sing. Some of the verses were like this, but there were many more, and their singing went on for a long while. The wind was on the withered heath, but in the forest stirred no leaf. Their shadows lay by night and day, and dark things silent crept beneath. The wind came down from mountains cold, and like a tide it roared and rolled. The branches groaned, the forest moaned, and leaves were laid upon the mould. The wind went on from west to east, all movement in the forest ceased. But shrill and harsh across the marsh, its whistling voices were released. The grasses hissed, their tassels bent, the reeds were rattling, on it went. O'er a shaken pool, under heaven's cool, where racing clouds were torn and rent. It passed the lonely mountain bare, and swept above the dragon's lair. There black and dark lay boulder stark, and flying smoke was in the air. It left the world and took its flight, over the wide seas of the night. The moon set sail upon the gale, and stars were fanned to leaping light. Bilbo began to nod again. Suddenly, up stood Gandalf. It's time for us to sleep, he said. For us, but not, I think, for Bayorn. In this hall we can rest sound and safe. But I warn you all not to forget what Bayorn said before he left us. You must not stray outside until the sun is up, on your peril. Bilbo found that beds had already been laid at the side of the hall, on a sort of raised platform between the pillars and the outer wall. For him there was a little mattress of straw and woolen blankets. He snuggled into them very gladly, summertime though it was. The fire burned low, and he fell asleep. Yet in the night he woke. The fire had now sunk to a few embers. The dwarves and Gandalf were all asleep, to judge by their breathing. A splash of white on the floor came from the high moon, which was peering down through the smoke hole in the roof. There was a growling sound outside, and a noise as of some great animal scuffling at the door. Bilbo wondered what it was, and whether it could be Bayorn in enchanted shape, and if he would come in as a bear and kill them. He dived under the blankets and hid his head, and fell asleep again at last in spite of his fears. It was full morning when he awoke. One of the dwarves had fallen over him in the shadows where he lay, and had rolled down with a bump from the platform onto the floor. It was Bofa, and he was grumbling about it when Bilbo opened his eyes. Get up, lazy bones, he said, or there'll be no breakfast left for you. Up jumped Bilbo. Breakfast, he cried. Where's breakfast? Mostly inside us answered the other dwarves who were moving about the hall. But what's left is out on the veranda. We've been about looking for Bayorn ever since the sun got up, but there's no sign of him anywhere. 
though we found breakfast laid as soon as we went out. Where's Gandalf? asked Bilbo, moving off to find something to eat as quick as he could. Oh, out and about somewhere, they told him. But he saw no sign of the wizard all that day until the evening. Just before sunset, he walked into the hall, where the hobbit and the dwarves were having supper, waited on by Bayorn's wonderful animals, as they had been all day. Of Bayorn they had seen and heard nothing since the night before, and they were getting puzzled. "'Where's our host? And where have you been all day yourself?' they all cried. "'One question at a time, and none till after supper. I haven't had a bite since breakfast.' At last, Gandalf pushed away his plate and jug. He'd eaten two whole loaves, with masses of butter and honey and clotted cream, and drunk at least a quart of mead, and he took out his pipe. "'I will answer the second question first, he said. "'But bless me, this is a splendid place for smoke rings!' Indeed, for a long time, they could get nothing more out of him. He was so busy sending smoke rings dodging round the pillars of the hall, changing them into all sorts of different shapes and colours, and setting them at last chasing one another out of the hole in the roof. They must have looked very queer from outside, popping out into the air one after another. Green, blue, red, silver-grey, yellow, white. Big ones, little ones, little ones dodging through big ones and joining into figure eights, and going off like a flock of birds into the distance. I've been picking out bear tracks, he said at last. There must have been a regular bears meeting outside here last night. I soon saw that Bayon could not have made them all. There were far too many of them, and they were of various sizes too. I should say there were little bears, large bears, ordinary bears, and gigantic big bears, all dancing outside from dark to nearly dawn. They came from almost every direction, except from the west over the river. From the mountains. In that direction only one set of footprints led. None coming. Only ones going away from here. I followed these as far as the Carrack. There they disappeared into the river, but the water was too deep and strong beyond the rock for me to cross. It's easy enough, as you remember, to get from this bank to the Carrack by the ford, but on the other side is a cliff standing up from a swirling channel. I had to walk miles before I found a place where the river was wide and shallow enough for me to wade and swim, and then miles back again to pick up the tracks again. By that time it was too late for me to follow them far. They went straight off in the direction of the pine woods on the east side of the Misty Mountains, where we had our pleasant little party with the wargs the night before last. And now I think I have answered your first question too, ended Gandalf, and he sat a long while silent. Bilbo thought he knew what the wizard meant. "'What shall we do?' he cried. "'If he leads all the wargs and the goblins down here, "'we shall all be caught and killed. "'I thought you said he was not a friend of theirs.' "'So I did, and don't be silly. "'You'd better go to bed. "'Your wits are sleepy.' "'The hobbit felt quite crushed, "'and as there seemed nothing else to do, he did go to bed, "'and while the dwarves were still singing songs, "'he dropped asleep.' still puzzling his little head about Bayorn, till he dreamed a dream of hundreds of black bears dancing slow heavy dances round and round in the moonlight in the courtyard. 
Then he woke up when everyone else was asleep, and he heard the same scraping, scuffling, snuffling, and growling as before. Next morning they were all wakened by Bayon himself. So here you all are still, he said. He picked up the hobbit and laughed. Not eaten up by warrocks or goblins or wicked bears yet, I see. And he poked Mr. Baggins' waistcoat most disrespectfully. Little bunny is getting nice and fat again on bread and honey, he chuckled. Come and have some more. So they all went to breakfast with him. Bayon was most jolly for a change. Indeed, he seemed to be in a splendidly good humour, and set them all laughing with his funny stories. Nor did they have to wonder long where he'd been or why he was so nice to them, for he told them himself. He'd been over the river and right back up into the mountains, from which you can guess that he could travel quickly. In bear's shape, at any rate. From the burnt wolf glade, he'd soon found out that part of their story was true, but he found more than that. He'd caught a warg and a goblin wandering in the woods. From these, he got news. The goblin patrols were still hunting with wargs for the dwarves, and they were fiercely angry because of the death of the great goblin, and also because of the burning of the chief wolf's nose and the death from the wizard's fire of many of his chief servants. So much they told him when he forced them, but he guessed there was more wickedness than this afoot, and that a great raid of the whole goblin army with their wolf allies into the land shadowed by the mountains might soon be made to find the dwarves, or to take vengeance on the men and creatures that lived there, and who they thought must be sheltering them. It was a good story, that of yours, said Bayon, but I like it still better now I'm sure it's true. You must forgive my not taking your word, you live near the edge of Mirkwood. You take the word of no one that you did not know as well as your brother or better. As it is, I can only say that I've hurried home as fast as I could to see that you were safe, and to offer you any help that I can. I shall think more kindly of dwarves after this. Killed the great goblin. Killed the great goblin. He chuckled fiercely to himself. What did you do with the goblin and the warg? asked Bilbo suddenly. Come and see, said Bayorn, and they followed round the house. A goblin's head was stuck outside the gate and a warg skin was nailed to a tree just beyond. Bayorn was a fierce enemy. But now he was their friend, and Gandalf thought it wise to tell him their whole story and the reason of their journey, so that he could get the most help he could offer. This is what he promised to do for them. He would provide ponies for each of them, and a horse for Gandalf for their journey to the forest, and he would lade them with food to last them for weeks with care, and packed so as to be easy as possible to carry. Nuts, flour, sealed jars of dried fruits, and red earthenware pots of honey, and twice-baked cakes that would keep good a long time, and on a little of which they could march far. The making of these was one of his secrets, but honey was in them, as in most of his foods and they were good to eat, though they made one thirsty. Water, he said, they would not need to carry this side of the forest, for there were streams and springs along the road. But your way through Mirkwood is dark, dangerous, and difficult, he said. Water is not easy to find there, nor food. The time is not yet come for nuts, though it may be past and gone indeed before you get to the other side. 
The nuts are about all that grows there, fit for food. In there, the wild things are dark, queer and savage. I'll provide you with skins for carrying water, and I'll give you some bows and arrows. But I doubt very much whether anything you find in Mirkwood will be wholesome to eat or to drink. There's one stream there, I know, black and strong, which crosses the path. That you should neither drink of, nor bathe in, for I've heard that it carries enchantment and a great drowsiness and forgetfulness, and in the dim shadows of that place, I don't think you will shoot anything, wholesome or unwholesome, without straying from the path. That you must not do for any reason. That's all the advice I can give you. Beyond the edge of the forest, I cannot help you much. You must depend on your luck and your courage and the food I send with you. At the gate of the forest, I must ask you to send back my horse and my ponies. But I wish you all speed. And my house is open to you if ever you come back this way again. They thanked him, of course, with many bows and sweepings of their hoods, and with many an at-your-service, O master of the wide wooden halls. But their spirits sank at his grave words, and they all felt that the adventure was far more dangerous than they'd thought, while all the time, even if they passed all the perils of the road, the dragon was waiting at the end. All that morning they were busy with preparations. Soon after midday they ate with Bayon for the last time and after the meal they mounted the steeds he was lending them, and bidding him many farewells they rode off through his gate at a good pace. As soon as they left his high hedges at the east of his fenced lands, they turned north and then bore to the northwest. By his advice they were no longer making for the main forest road to the south of his land. Had they followed the pass, their path would have led them down a stream from the mountains that joined the great river miles south of the Carrack. At that point there was a deep ford, which they might have passed, if they still had their ponies, and beyond that a track led to the skirts of the wood and to the entrance of the old forest road. But Bayorn had warned them that that way was now often used by the goblins, while the forest road itself, he had heard, was overgrown and disused at the eastern end and led to impassable marshes where the paths had long been lost. Its eastern opening had also always been far to the south of the Lonely Mountain, and would have left them still with a long and difficult northward march when they got to the other side. North of the Carrack, the edge of Mirkwood drew closer to the borders of the Great River, and though here the mountains too drew down nearer, Bayorn advised them to take this way, for at a place a few days' ride due north of the Carrack was the gate of a little-known pathway through Mirkwood that led almost straight towards the Lonely Mountain. The goblins, Bayon had said, will not dare to cross the great river for a hundred miles north of the Carrack, nor to come near my house. It's well protected at night. But I should ride fast, for if they make their raid soon, they'll cross the river to the south and scour all the edge of the forest so as to cut you off. The wargs run swifter than ponies. Still, you are safer going north. Even though you seem to be going back nearer to their strongholds, for that's what they will least expect, and they will have the longer ride to catch you. Be off now as quick as you may. That is why they were now riding in silence, 
galloping wherever the ground was grassy and smooth, with the mountains dark on their left, and in the distance the line of the river with its trees drawing ever closer. The sun had only just turned west when they started, until evening it lay golden on the land about them. It was difficult to think of pursuing goblins behind, and when they'd put many miles between them and Bayon's house they began to talk and to sing again and to forget the dark forest path that lay in front. But in the evening when the dusk came on and the peaks of the mountains glowered against the sunset, they made a camp and set a guard, and most of them slept uneasily with dreams in which there came the howl of hunting wolves and the cries of goblins. Still the next morning dawned bright and fair again. There was an autumn-like mist white upon the ground and the air was chill. But soon the sun rose red in the east and the mists vanished. And while the shadows were still long they were off again. So they rode now for two more days. And all the while they saw nothing save grass and flowers and birds and scattered trees and occasionally small herds of red deer browsing or sitting at noon in the shade. Sometimes Bilbo saw the horns of the harts sticking up out of the long grass, and at first he thought they were the dead branches of trees. That third evening they were so eager to press on, for Bayon had said that they should reach the forest gate early on the fourth day, that they rode still forward after dusk and into the night beneath the moon. As the light faded, Bilbo thought he saw a way to the right, or to the left. The shadowy form of a great bear prowling along in the same direction. But if he dared to mention it to Gandalf, the wizard only said, Hush, take no notice. Next day they started before dawn. Though their night had been short, as soon as it was light they could see the forest coming as it were to meet them or waiting for them like a black and frowning wall before them. The land began to slope up and up, and it seemed to the hobbit that a silence began to draw in upon them. Birds began to sing less. There were no more deer, not even rabbits were to be seen. By the afternoon they'd reached the eaves of Mirkwood, and were resting almost beneath the great overhanging boughs of its outer trees. Their trunks were huge and gnarled, their branches twisted, their leaves were dark and long. Ivy grew on them and trailed along the ground. Well, here is Mirkwood, said Gandalf. The greatest of the forests of the northern world. I hope you like the look of it. Now you must send back these excellent ponies you've borrowed. The dwarves were inclined to grumble at this, but the wizard told them they were fools. Beorn is not as far off as you seem to think. And you had better keep your promises anyway, for he is a bad enemy. Mr. Baggin's eyes are sharper than yours. If you've not seen each night after dark a great bear going along with us or sitting far off in the moon watching our camps, not only to guard you and guide you, but to keep an eye on the ponies too. Bayorn may be your friend, but he loves his animals as his children. You do not guess what kindness he has shown you in letting dwarves ride them so far and so fast nor what would happen to you if you tried to take them into the forest. What about the horse, then? said Thorin. You don't mention sending that back. I don't, because I'm not sending it. What about your promise, then? I will look after that. I'm not sending the horse back. I'm riding it. 
Then they knew that Gandalf was going to leave them at the very edge of Mirkwood, and they were in despair, but nothing they could say would change his mind. Now we had this all out before, when we landed on the Carrack, he said. It's no use arguing. I have, as I told you, some pressing business away south, and I'm already late, through bothering with you people. We may meet again before all is over, and then again, of course, we may not. That depends on your luck, and on your courage and sense. And I am sending Mr. Baggins with you. I've told you before that he has more about him than you guess, and you will find that out before long. So cheer up, Bilbo, and don't look so glum. Cheer up, Thorin and company. This is your expedition, after all. Think of the treasure at the end, and forget the forest and the dragon, at any rate until tomorrow morning. When tomorrow morning came, he still said the same. So now there was nothing left to do but fill their water skins at a clear spring they found close to the forest gate, and unpack the ponies. They distributed the packages as fairly as they could, though Bilbo thought his lot was wearisomely heavy. I did not at all like the idea of trudging for miles and miles with all that on his back. Don't you worry, said Thorin. It'll get lighter all too soon. Before long, I expect we shall all wish our packs heavier when the food begins to run short. Then at last they said goodbye to their ponies and turned their heads for home. Off they trotted gaily, seeming very glad to put their tails towards the shadow of Mirkwood. As they went away, Bilbo could have sworn that a thing like a bear left the shadows of the trees and shambled off quickly after them. Now Gandalf too said farewell. Bilbo sat on the ground feeling very unhappy and wishing he was beside the wizard on his tall horse. He'd gone just inside the forest after breakfast, a very poor one, and it had seemed as dark in there in the morning as at night and very secret. A sort of watching and waiting feeling, he said to himself. Goodbye, said Gandalf to Thorin, and goodbye to you all. Goodbye. Straight through the forest is your way now. Don't stray off the track. If you do, it is a thousand to one you will never find it again, and never get out of Mirkwood. And then I don't suppose I or anyone else will ever see you again. Do we really have to go through? groaned the hobbit. Yes, you do, said the wizard. If you want to get to the other side, you must either go through or give up your quest. And I'm not going to allow you to back out now, Mr. Baggins. I'm ashamed of you for thinking of it. You've got to look after all these dwarfs for me. He laughed. No, no, said Bilbo. I didn't mean that. I meant, is there no way round? There is, if you care to go two hundred miles or so out of your way north, and twice that south. But you wouldn't get a safe path even then. There are no safe paths in this part of the world. Remember, you are over the edge of the wild now, and in for all sorts of fun wherever you go. Before you could get round Mirkwood in the north, you'd be right among the slopes of the Grey Mountains, and they are simply stiff with goblins, hobgoblins, and orcs of the worst description. Before you could get round it in the south, you would get into the land of the Necromancer, and even you, Bilbo, won't need me to tell you the tales of that black sorcerer. I don't advise you to go anywhere near the places overlooked by his dark tower. Stick to the forest track, keep your spirits up, hope for the best. And with a tremendous slice of luck, you may come out one day and see the long marshes lying below you. 
and beyond them, high in the east, the lonely mountain where dear old Smaug lives. Though I hope he's not expecting you. Very comforting you are, to be sure, growled Thorin. Goodbye. If you won't come with us, you'd better get off without any more talk. Goodbye, then. And really, goodbye, said Gandalf. And he turned his horse and rode down into the west. But he could not resist the temptation to have the last word. Before he had passed quite out of hearing, he turned and put his hands to his mouth and called to them. They heard his voice come faintly. Goodbye. Be good. Take care of yourselves. And don't leave the path. Then he galloped away and was soon lost to sight. Oh, goodbye and go away, grunted the dwarves, all the more angry because they were really filled with dismay at losing him. Now began the most dangerous part of all the journey. They each shouldered the heavy pack and the water skin which was their share, and turned from the light that lay on the lands outside, and plunged into the forest. Mm -hmm.